Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with the newly named College Football Connection. Added a little aviation terminology there, Zach. Hopefully you like it. Uh, and it felt like appropriate because this was this was a weekend of a lot of change in the college football landscape. It seems like there's always one week every year that's just like this. Everybody thinks it's business as usual. Not a whole lot of uh, competitive games on the slate. Everyone's keyed in on like one or two games on the schedule. And <laughs> bedlam ensues where you see upsets, you see outcomes that you would never expect. And that was this weekend in college football. And for me, overall, the question remains, like, we still don't know who actually is good and who's not. (laughs) It's probably going to be a few more weeks. Uh, But let's start at the top with with Ohio State, obviously. That's what our listeners are most concerned about. Um, I think when they saw the name Arkansas State, uh, people just thought that this was going to be a simple, easy game. But when you dig a little bit deeper on Arkansas State, you know, Butch Davis is their coach. They've they've made some significant improvements. They look like a decent football team out there, especially in the first half. Um, but overall, I think Ohio State was able to implement its will, and we saw the coming out party for the receivers we expected the week before. <laughs> right. I think, you know, what you, what you can't do nowadays, and this is kind of new, we're all learning this on the fly, is with the the advent and, and impl- you know implementation of this transfer portal, you can never look at a team and be like, oh, Arkansas State, they weren't very good last year. They're probably going to be an easy win this year because yeah. you don't know what Arkansas State has. I mean, they added all these kids. This kid's Champ Flemings that went out and had, you know, got targeted 10 times with 10 catches for over 100 yards against Ohio State secondary. Like, this kid's some transfer from Oregon State no one's ever heard of, right? And yeah. all of a sudden he's on the field cooking Denzel Burke up and down the field, and you're sitting here like, you can't do that anymore. You can't yeah. look and say, okay, this is Toledo. Well, we'll beat Toledo because last year they were X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, they could have 20 new players through the portal and be a completely different team. You have no idea. Yeah. 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 Super, super good point on that NIL side of things. And I mean, overall, like we're seeing, I think we're seeing this across college football, this parody. And I think it's fun whenever we watch one of these teams that we didn't expect to be good. There's always one player. There was like, um, I can't remember the guy's name on Arkansas state, but he was like, he was short. He was like five, five. But there were, there's always, like, one player that's just a dynamic athlete that you're just like, man, this guy probably got a couple bigger offers and just decided to come here and be a star. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you see that a lot with these schools. And I think the biggest thing we learned this weekend – I mean, not the biggest thing. We learned a lot. This weekend was chaos. Insane. Yeah. But, but what we learned was, you know, this, this relatively dynamic skill player from Arkansas State gave Ohio State's defense a fit every now and then, right? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing we learned with – Seeing that happen live and then seeing that Marshall beat Notre Dame is we realized Notre Dame's offense lacked offensive firepower. I mean, they didn't didn't have a skill player worth a shit on the whole the whole offense. And I think as dominant as Ohio State was against Notre Dame, you're starting to realize like, all right, I love the defensive scheme. I love the aggression. But 
does Ohio State have the personnel when they have to play a dynamic skill group? <laughs> That's what we don't know yet because they, they had some problems with a pretty dynamic kid at Arkansas State. And the, the, the reality is they're not going to face many dynamic players outside of Maryland. I think Maryland's going to be the most dynamic offense they have to go against. And so that's when it'll we'll, be a real test for the secondary of can they bottle up dynamic offensive players. I mean, yeah. Jim Knowles also keeps reiterating the fact that he is being very conservative in terms of showing everything that's in the, in the cabinet oh, yeah. in these early games so that it's not on film. Um, that we're ready for some of these bigger, more competitive games uh, moving in the future. But you're right. I doubt that he expected to see this kid um, because they don't have film from him in Arkansas State last year. He's a transfer. I don't think they expected it, but I, I do like the idea of, you know, this is the way that our team is structured in a sense that, okay, if we're playing Arkansas State and they have one dynamic kid on offense, well, we have like 12. So as long as our defense bends and doesn't break in these scenarios, um, our offense should be able to get the job done. In most, you know, that's honestly the way that the team's constructed. Obviously, with Jim Knowles back there, we expect it to be much less bend than before. But I mean, that's typically always going to be the case with in college football with programs that have this dynamic of an offense. It's hard to keep the defense on the field and focused for as long as they're on it, especially when your offense is scoring relatively quickly. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. And Marvin Harrison Jr. finally, you know, made some plays on the perimeter. I still, I still, I'm still worried about the receiver position. I know people will talk about it. It's just a plethora of riches. I just haven't seen it yet. And and I have, I first time in four years that I've had copies of the actual coaches cut film that, that I have, like I've always watched them, but I've never like tangibly had them where I could break them down or put them out as content. And I just, this year's the first year that I secured that. And so now I'm able to really study Ohio state and, and the landscape um, kind of from coaches film where you can actually see the receivers like the TV copy. You might not see a receiver that's covered or you might see a re- not receive a receiver that's wide open that CJ misses. Right. And I put out a, a cut up from Notre Dame of kind of just CJ Stroud's bright spots and his, and his you know need for improvement. And I think this this throw game st- as dynamic as it is at times. It has such a long way to go to be what I consider like the maximized version of all these players skill set. And I think that when you start playing some of these better defenses, the Wisconsin's of the world, I think it's it's they're going to need to turn it up, and they're going to need to be healthy at full strength because they don't have any young receivers that are ready to play yet. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the run pass kind of um, mix as far as the offense was concerned uh, this week, and how much of that do you think is could is potent, could potentially really help this pass game? Because I feel like most teams know that we're going to throw the ball more than we're going to we're going to run the ball. And I don't know if, if you saw an adjustment, you know, the adjustment from week one to week two, as you watch the film. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely did. And I don't know how much of it was a, a true commitment and adjustment because Ryan has gotten pass happy in every big game. And then, you know, yeah. to, to sit here and watch Arkansas state and say, Oh, that's much more balanced. I, I, I like that. He's figuring that out. It's like, yeah, but it wasn't a big game. He's always been balanced in these, in, in those lesser games. Yeah. So yeah, it was definitely more balanced. There was definitely a shift offensively, but I'm just, I want to see if a, in a tight game, are they going to commit to running the football? I mean, you saw in Notre Dame, they, it's not that they didn't commit to it. They actually relied on it heavily in the second half and that's how they won the game, but it was yeah. that initial commitment that, that wasn't there. So we'll see, we'll see how he, he does, you know, 
if Wisconsin's going to be a big game, I don't know. They just lost to Washington State. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. especially when you see what Travion, you know, those spots that Travion gets the opportunity, it's like you got to create more opportunities like that for this kid. The same frustration I think we've had for years now because, you know, and that we, we all go back to that Michigan State game where it was like, why isn't Ezekiel Elliott getting the ball? <laughs> you know, and that I think that that's something with Ohio State fans that we're constantly worried about, specifically when you have talent like this. Like, look, he can make the same play that Marvin Harrison and C.J. Stroud can make, make sure he gets just as many opportunities as they get. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. And I, I think that – go ahead, Parth, I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to say one of the things that I did appreciate was the red zone defense. It seemed like we did a yeah. great job not get not allowing them to get into the end zone. Uh, you know, having a team forty five to twelve, like I thought it was a very very demonstrative performance of the type of skill that we have. Even though we were, you know, not all the way heated up. I mean, obviously, second game of the year. I agree with you guys in terms of Notre Dame. Like this week, really showed that our defense didn't do that much last week, or maybe we did so much they completely collapsed. But uh, you know, one way or another, I think it's good to see early on a disciplined approach to these games where we're not getting crazy out of hand. It's not these are not miraculous plays that we're using to score, but this is, you know, relatively consistent and it's trending in the right direction, more importantly. Like the run pass split this time around, we had um, you know, it was definitely far more rush yards than I'm accustomed to seeing from Ryan Day. So it does show that we're moving that direction, but I agree with you guys in terms of when we get to, you know, an actual tough game, bigger team, bigger stakes, what are we actually going to look like on the field? And is it going to be like we had the we had this history with Urban where anytime we had a big game, we'd be down at halftime and we make that miraculous fourth quarter comeback. And it's like it's fun to see wins, obviously, and to be a winning team. But I think when you're when you're putting together a game plan, that's that's not usually what you're trying to create, you know. Yeah, no doubt. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you, 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 against any football team, if they get in the red zone four times and come away with zero touchdowns, I mean, that's a massive win for, for Jim Knowles mm-hmm. and the defense. I mean, you look at the, the defensive struggles last year, really both sides of the ball. Last year, Ohio State's only struggle offensively was scoring in the red zone. And then defensively, they allowed 74% of the time teams to score touchdowns. Right now, they're at like 16% touchdowns in the red zone after two games. So massive improvement there. And I think the one thing about the run game, if you, Go back and look at the Texas-Alabama game. Texas ran the ball for like two and a half yards a carry. So it certainly wasn't that successful, but they were still committed to it. They still yeah. ran the ball and every now and then popped one, right? And and you have to have that. Even if it's a struggle, You ha- it's, it's like Novocaine, man. You just got to stick with it. And eventually that's going to wear down a defense, open up the throw game. And Texas, you know, by my account, won that football game. So And that's how they did it. They They did it through the air, but because they didn't abandon the run game. Yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, the, the you guys bring up a, a lot of valid points. We can look at any game, and it's important as a as a team to look at you know what you did well and what you didn't do well. But I think it's very important the takeaway for fans, and I think they to to not look at this and say and appreciate and actually appreciate the fact that on a weekend the Appalachian State won and Marshall won um, that we saw an Arkansas State team and handled them. Um, pretty handily and came away with the victory. A win is always a win, and I think it has to be appreciated as as such. Especially, you know, moving into some of these upsets. You, you know, I think it's a good segue 
to talk about this Alabama-Texas game. Early noon game going into Austin. I don't know if we really saw much from either team, but the thing that stood out to me is I've watched a lot of Alabama games. We all have. We've been, whether we want to or not, we're forced to, to <laughs> if we watch college football. But this was like the most like mentally like not their Alabama team I've seen probably in a decade. The penalties, you know, the, the, the misplays. Um, but when they came down to it, you know, and this is the same, you can have a bad game. Bryce Young in that, in that last drive, put it together and did what he needed to do to win. This is typical. We see this with Texas. Their fans get all hyped because they're about to have an upset. Whatever can go wrong always goes wrong for Texas, uh, especially recently. And, and I don't even, I don't even want to say they choked away the game, but they had won the game and then gave it up in the last minute and a half. Yeah, you saw, you know, every, every force in the world was working against Texas. I mean, the refs, to say that they weren't biased is just absurd. And I, I know Alabama was penalized 15 times for 100 yards. Yeah. But they missed some really erroneous misses. I mean, the, the face mask in the low red zone and the safety were, were two just focal point plays that were yeah. so obvious that for them to review them, review that yeah. safety and still get it wrong just makes you think there's a lot of bias. But Texas did... I, I did a show on this last week, kind of going through all of Alabama's losses the last decade. And like, what was the formula? Like, what's the, what is the secret sauce to beating Nick Saban? And at every single game that they lost, it, it rung true. You have to throw the shit out of the ball. You can't, you're not going to run the ball and beat Bama. That's not how you're going to beat Bama. You have to yeah. be successful through the air and then you have to protect the football. And that's what Texas did. They threw for almost 300 yards through the air. And I, I would contend that if their quarterback doesn't get driven into the ground and get an SC uh, joint issue, he's they win the game with Quinn Ewers. I mean, he For was sure. unbelievable when he was in the game. But they For threw sure. the shit out of the ball on Bama, had success, and they didn't have one turnover. And that, that is the formula to beating Bama. And they, they executed it. It just fell a little short with a hobbling backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, I mean, you know, this is my, my firm view on Alabama after watching that game. This is not a number two ranked Alabama, and I think it's preposterous that people are looking at Alabama still as a as a title contender after what we've seen them coming out as. Obviously, they have the reputation to get there, but as far as I'm concerned, this looked like a number ten ranked team when I watched Alabama play. There was no heart, there was no effort. Sure, they got it done at the end, but to get it done against a tired prevent D from Texas, who's you know a choke fest of a team, like doesn't really earn my respect. <laughs> from from a program standpoint. So I think like what this has done, in my view, is it's put the target on Alabama. I think every team walking into a game with them this year is going to say, well, shit, if Texas, who went 5-7 and seven last year and got stomped by Kansas, can, uh, can basically, you know, take Alabama down to the wire, what can we be doing, you know, when we play them? Yeah, right. I mean, I have, a, I have a theory on this, which is I feel like, we're all programmed to look for a reason to, to, to say Alabama isn't as good as they actually are and have been because they've been good so long. Because the reality is this is week two. And I mean, I, I want to be fair to the sense Alabama is always reloading every year. And it's always about the way that they're playing at the end of the year versus how they're playing at the beginning of the year. What Alabama does better than anybody else over the last decade is 
in situations like this, they still, when they're playing terribly, they still find a way to win the game. Um, and that's really the difference between their success and every other college program success is often a lot of the other contenders, when you look at their loss, it's usually to someone that they weren't supposed to lose to uh, mm-hmm. in a game they weren't supposed to lose. Um, and I do think that it's a little a bit of a stretch. I understand the respect to put Alabama at two. I think that they've earned it, right? Because it's hard when you look at the landscape of what happened this weekend, it's hard to really know who's good and who's not. And if you don't know who's really that good, you kind of have to put the person that you know has been good and has been consistently good in that place. I just think that that's how you have to do it. What do you think about the ranking, Zach? I mean, I'm against ranking a team. I mean, I think when the college football playoff rankings come out, that's about the right time to rank a team. And the yeah. only reason they rank teams right now is for, for clicks and TV revenue. Um, yeah. So I, I think rankings are entirely stupid. I mean, to sit here and say we have any idea how good Michigan is after the two teams they've played, I happen to think that they're a top five, top four team. I do believe that they, they are that. But you can't evaluate them comparatively to Ohio State or Alabama who, who have played at least somewhat of a formidable opponent. I mean, Colorado State and Hawaii are two of the worst programs in college football. And guess what? They get UConn this week, who's just as bad. So Michigan's going to look, I mean, amazing through week three. And some other teams are going to struggle against some teams just because of pure scheduling. And and so I'm, I'm just not a fan of, of rankings. I don't do preseason rankings on my show. I don't do in-season rankings. We talk about the rankings a little bit and just who I think might be fraudulent. Um, but yeah, I, it's... It's impossible, but I, I sit and I watch the entire Alabama game film, and they look noticeably different on offense. Their defense is going to be really good. I think Texas had a great game plan for them. You knew Steve Sarkeesian would. I mean, he just left Alabama. He has all the keys to to Pete Golding's defense, but the their offense looks different than it ever has. They they their receiver group. I mean, we went from a receiver group with Jerry Judy. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, four first rounders to this group that they trotted out there against Texas who looked pitiful. They looked, I mean, it was disgusting receiver play. And you can, I could give you all the stats about Bryce Young and how he played horrible and he, he doesn't deserve all the hype he's getting right now. But in reality, when you watch the film, it's just that he doesn't have the offensive skill. He has Jameer yeah. Gibbs, who I think is one of the, one of the best backs in the country. It's Bajan Robinson or him based on what I've watched through two games. And that kid is catching the ball to the backfield. They're handing it to him. I mean, that's his one offensive weapon. Outside of that, he their offensive skills awful for Alabama. Yeah. And I've never set, been able to say that about a Bama team. Yeah, that's what I mean, that. yeah, that that's kind of the, the premise of my entire assessment of, you know, I, I feel like I overall, I get that the rankings don't matter right now. They don't make sense. Yeah. But Right. To hear people defend that they believe Alabama should still be the number two team after what we watched, it breaks my breaks my brain because I I didn't see a good football team on Saturday, and I, I think you, that's who, who do you have jumped them? But who do you I have? have I have I have the, Ohio State above them. That that's the only change I'd make. I'd put them at three. You know what I'm saying? But that that was I get the whole Notre Dame loss. I get the way that people perceive things, right? But the point that I'm making is that. This Alabama team, as they are, is not standing out ahead above the competition the same way. And I would say Georgia, and I would say, yeah, Michigan didn't play anybody, but they've made made some statements as well. You know, and I think both of those teams are deserving of a little bit more praise than they're getting, despite the fact that, yeah, I mean, you're playing a ranked Texas. You're playing a tougher opponent. It's at home in Texas. It's a second-week game where a lot of upsets happen. Like, 
all of this is is true. But I think when you're looking at teams, especially comparing them as to how good they are at the start of the season, you can't take into account how good they'll be at the end of the season. You have to actually rate them based on how good they are at the start of the season. And I just don't think that we as a, as a you know, uh, collective sports-interested nation uh, do a good job of evaluating who's actually good in real time. We just look at the legend of a team, and, and it just significantly weighs our I think, opinion. I think that's really one of the biggest issues we have with rankings is mm-hmm. there's not a clear definition for what it is because some people are obsessed with like getting it right at the end of the year and saying, see, I had Bama at number two all year, and they finished second. And it's like, okay, is that what the point of rankings are? Or are they to, to take a snapshot of the current state of every team? Because it's it's vastly different objectives, right? Correct. Like, correct. Like certainly Bama's gonna get better. They have a great coaching staff, they're highly talented players. So we can project Bama at two or project Ohio State at three, or you know, whatever it is, if that's the goal of rankings. And I don't think it's supposed to be, but but honestly, I don't really know. What are the point of rankings? Like yeah, what is the yeah. what is the objective? I think the goal of it is it's achieving its goal. It's to get us to talk about it. So that's what it's <laughs> yeah, an entire objective. Yeah, the ambiguity well, definitely it's, works. It's that, and obviously, the, the biggest thing is who are, the only rankings that matter are who are the top four. No other matters. Nothing else matters, right? Because we've set up this college football playoff until it expands to twelve teams, of course, which is something that we can, you know, we obviously can can discuss here as well is 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 that switch which was on the yeah topic once we got through kind of the games um but that's the only reason the rankings matter is that yeah and it's also i think i think there's another side to the rankings that that we lose sight of and that's that's you know the the power that the rankings have for these media entities to shape a narrative because they do use the rankings to, to justify things, right? Like, oh, well, Alabama beat number 22 Vanderbilt. And you're like, Vanderbilt's yeah. awful. What do you, why? Just because you said number 22 doesn't mean anything to me, yeah. right? Yeah. As they use those rankings to like qualify wins. And and, and it's like, it's, I don't know. We could go down this rabbit hole yeah. all day long, the media influence, but they do use them. Uh, the largest just, issue that I have, the largest issue that I have, sorry, Parther, with the ranking system, it is, is that itself right is that we've seen over the last 10 years this consistent bias which i think is leans to why partha feels the way that he feels overall about alabama's ranking is that we've shown that they get a level of respect where their losses don't mean the same you know if they lost when they lose to number 22 vanderbilt in week i mean are they beat or whoever it is that they lose to they're ranked at the time but then you look at those teams they usually all have two or three losses, but then when it comes to evaluating Alabama, they always get the benefit of the doubt. They are going to be the one loss team that gets into the top four, regardless of what it is, who they play, if, as long as they have one loss. I feel like even at two losses, people think about Alabama and that whole SEC bias thing comes into play and that Alabama bias thing comes into play Um too. And I've always hated also like the whole need for when they used to have the coaches poll. Coaches aren't paying attention to every top. They're paying attention to the teams that are on their schedule. So how are they going to know if they don't play Alabama? How are they going to know to vote Alabama as the number one team? Yeah, yeah. I've been, it, I've been screaming know, the, that on my show for, for four yeah, years. I mean, that, just, that is just an SIE ranking. Yeah. 
it, it helps with recruiting, obviously. It's like it's great for media narrative. And then to add on to everything, you had Utah. What was Utah at the start of the season? Like seven? Like seven. they were up there. Seven. 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 They were seven. sure they lose they lose the Florida, okay? Very comparable to Alabama potentially losing to Texas had that happened. Now they beat the brakes off of Southern Utah. They put up 73 points this weekend, and they're still unranked. I, I just don't see it, you know? Florida's ranked 18 right now, so really they lost to an 18th-ranked team by a little bit. And a first-week game. Utah's not ranked. I thought they were ranked. They're they're unranked as of, what, as of what I'm looking at. So it, it, I may just okay. not have the info, but I'm just looking on uh, on Google right now. But – but my point being, like, you're, that you're that's 14. the exact comparison that I feel like we we don't treat Utah as well as we treat Alabama when both have had, you know, numerically quite a similar start to the season. For sure. There's definitely a media bias. I mean, it, and it's all it's all financially driven. Like, I think everyone in the country knew Notre Dame was not a top five team. Now, yeah, I think everyone thought they were a much better team than they are. but when those rankings came out, I was like, oh, they're solely trying to hype this up as some big time matchup for TV dollars. I mean, that's all it was. Yeah. And it's every year. It's also to keep Notre Dame fans engaged and excited because they spend a lot of money. They tune yep. in, they have their own network where their games are on. It's like, they've got to, they've got to, to work, work it a little bit there. And it doesn't bother me so much as what's right and what's fair would be, uh, for everyone to admit what the biases are, there is an SEC bias. Be honest about it. If there is an Alabama bias. Be honest about it. Like the thing that I have is this this idea that there's that this thing is like completely on point and fair. It's never fair. You know, you're never gonna really create a fair system. Um, but you know, we we could talk about these rankings all day. There are some other kind of significant games that happened. We'll get to the We Are Marshall. Uh, segment in a second, but first I thought, uh, uh, Zach, you you mentioned this in our preseason warm up. You thought Kentucky had a chance to be really really good, um, and they uh, they played well. This was another matchup that was that was significant. What were your kind of your takeaways from from that game? Well, just uh, Anthony Richardson is just still. I mean on the struggle bus when it comes to throwing the football. I mean, he, he, he got all the ESPN love for his jump, spin, move, roll out, throw to a wide open receiver against Utah and beating Utah was a big win, but I, I broke it. I broke, when I broke the game down, he, he wasn't asked to do much with his arm and they, they asked him to do a little more against Kentucky and he was just abysmal. I mean, he was just yeah. terrible throwing the football and, and I think Kentucky still has a chance. They, they're going to have to beat Tennessee. I don't think they beat Georgia and I think they have a chance to finish second in the East. But my, my only issue is, I, as I broke down the Kentucky-Florida game, is I, I am not buying into this Will Levis hype. I mean, they are hyping him up to be a first-round draft pick, um, a, you know, just an elite-level quarterback. And I don't know, I, I don't know why they're doing it. I guess he's because he spurned, he, he got beat out at Penn State and transferred to Kentucky, and now he's blossomed. And they're trying to, you know, yeah. write a Rudy storybook, I guess. Yeah. But I, I watched, I watched that game, and the kid was average all over the place. Like when he's under pressure, he can't. He can't perform when they blitz. He can't perform. He can't throw the ball over 10 yards. Like the more I watch him, the more I think he's a media, media narrative fraud. And so yeah. I worry about Kentucky beating Tennessee, to be honest with you. And, and I don't think they have a chance in hell at beating Georgia. Partha, what did you say about the Florida quarterback? Like he called himself like 
what was it? The quote that he had. Oh yeah. Something. So he, I don't know if you heard this in the broadcast, Zach. We were we were dying this uh, when they said this, but he compared himself in play style to Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson, and then said, "But who I actually try to emulate is Aaron Rodgers." And I was like, "Okay, so Aaron <laughs> Rodgers' speed, and then Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson throwing ability." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so you run it like Aaron Rodgers and throw it like Lamar. Sounds about right. <laughs> Yo, um, I have to correct the Utah comment. They're at 14 right now. So it just didn't show up in the screen that I had. But still, yeah, like, I, I think it underscores my point pretty well. 14 to 2 is a pretty big difference for very similar starts to the season. Yeah, yeah. they keep a lot of teams in, these, in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 around in the rankings, just as you said, for the media narrative, too, and the media rights, making sure the West Coast college football gets continued to get watched more so, so than uh, anything. Yeah. So let's also <laughs> quickly comment on Baylor-BYU. This was an amazing game to watch. I had a lot of fun watching it wind down. It was like the no kicker could could kick the ball, period. Like, there's so many missed field goals. Yeah. It went to second overtime as a result of that. Did you get a chance to tune into this one, Zach? It was kind of late. I didn't. I have a really good friend that's at Baylor, and I talked to him about the game, but I did not watch it. Okay, yeah, we, yeah, I, we tuned in because we got the West Coast advantage. But, man, this, yeah. this game was nuts, bro. Like, it went down the line. I don't think either of these teams is very good. I think they're they're probably ranked higher than their skill level. Um, but it was it was just one of those that felt like a high school game because of how many mistakes were being made. Yeah, it was <laughs> terrible. It was terrible. Well, I, mean, I, I, do know, I, I do know I paid attention to it because Desmond Howard, three of his four playoff teams got knocked out this weekend already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, guy is a, that, guy is a com- that guy is a complete conspiracy theory. You know, I don't know why he's got I'm, a I'm on the fence, thing. and I'm curious your thoughts because I – I've given him so much attention on my show and just, I mean, undressed him every take yeah. he has. And and I can't decide if one, if it's like bullying someone with a low IQ and it's like, I need to stop. Like, it's just mean at this point. Or if he's just absolutely brilliant because he's getting paid all this money and the clickbait is working. I can't decide if he's just really, really low IQ or if he's actually just brilliant and just, just I mean, fooling all of them. Uh, probably the, the probably is, the low IQ. He went to Michigan, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the reality is this is this is a guy. ESPN picks guys that are just characters, and yeah. I feel like that's why they picked him. And he plays. He probably plays nice with all the producers. Gets along with everybody who kind of, you know, he, he, he's probably got some charm, even though I don't see it in any of his public commentary <laughs> behind the scenes. But I don't think that being hard on somebody who goes out of his way to be hard on other people is ever a bad thing. you got to give people what they what they put out into the world. For yeah. sure. Um, Tennessee, you kind of called that one, Zach. I mean, what what's your view on them? Are they going to break into the top 10, um, potentially get themselves into – the SEC, SEC championship? I mean, they, well, they're going to have to beat Georgia to do it. And um, I think they might be the best equipped team to do it. I don't know that anyone beats Georgia from what I've seen through two weeks. So I think yeah. it's going to be a tough road for them, but I think they might do something impactful. And that's what I kind of look at as programs are on the rise. Like maybe you're not built to survive a 12 round fight and make it to the, the conference championship, but you might be equipped enough to get one knockout punch one week 
And so yeah. that's where I'm looking. Can they can they beat Bama? Maybe it's a fluke win, but are they are they talented enough and well coached enough to knock off Bama in in a random you know middle of the season game? Because I mean I think they I think they're going to beat Florida in two weeks on September 24th. I think they will they'll keep rising up the polls. But then ultimately, they're going to have to play Georgia and Alabama in the regular season. And do I think they can win both of those? Absolutely not. Do I think yeah. they could win one? I think there's a strong chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good take. We, we, we've got to talk about the Gigums. I don't know where they came up with this phrase, but uh, we, we had to get to this segment where I think we have to talk about Appalachian State and Marshall. At a certain point, we got to call, we got to give Appalachian State. The reason that I hated them beating Texas A&M is it makes them beating Michigan look a little bit better than, than <laughs> it, it did before. But the truth is, you know, A&M had all this hype for their recruiting and players they brought in, Jimbo Fisher. You still got to get it done on the field. I look at Texas A&M and Texas virtually the same. Their fans are kind of delusional. Easy to be made to be delusional in terms of, you know, how good they are versus how good they actually are. Um, mm-hmm. But Texas A&M did not look – Appalachian State won the game, um, and they played North Carolina pretty competitively the week before, too, in kind of a basketball score. But, uh, you know, what were your takeaways of this? Is this more an indication that Texas A&M isn't very good, or is it that Appalachian State is a team that can compete with anybody? Well, I think Appalachian State certainly is an offensive uh, firepower team. I mean, they scored 42 points in the fourth quarter against North Carolina. Like you, that's just, you, I don't care who you're playing. You can't do yeah. that. Like that yeah. just doesn't happen. And then to go out and beat Texas A&M, I mean, you, they definitely have earned respect. I mean, they went against two. I mean, North Carolina is supposed to be decent this year. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a down North Carolina team. So I think they, they definitely earned some respect. And I think it also, just exemplified the fact that you can't win major college football without elite quarterback play and Texas A&M a week before game week. I mean, we're talking halfway over halfway through training camp. Jimbo Fisher's talking about he is, he has a three quarterback race. They're all pretty even. And the minute he said it, I did a whole show about it. If you're a week away from game week and you have three guys that are all even at the quarterback <laughs> position, you have a shitty quarterback room. Like really, and, <laughs> so this guy Haynes, Haynes King comes out as a starter and he's just, he's not a good player. And that's why just I could go on forever. Desmond Howard picking them to win the national championship was just laughable. Like they don't have a good quarterback. You can't win the national title without a good quarterback. Sure, some um, of that NIL I think money found its way to the media. Right. It's just <laughs> it's it's mind blowing to me. But I think the real story here is Texas A and M is has invested a shitload of money into Jimbo and his program. I mean, he's one of yeah. the highest paid coaches in the country. He, his his staff is ridiculous. He brought in DJ Dirk and Steve Adazio. Like it is on paper, probably the best staff in college football. They spent $30 million on a recruiting class, and then he loses to App State. At some point, the boosters that are cutting these checks are going to look and say, what are we paying you for? Like, we paid for you to get the best coaching staff in the country. We paid for the number one recruiting class. Your only job is to coach them up and win games, and you suck at it. Like, why are you here? Even with the QB play, when with the talent that you have, the coaching staff that you have, you can't lose to App State. No, it's not the game you lose. Yeah, maybe your quarterback situation comes up when you're playing, even in Arkansas or Kentucky, and yeah. that is. But you can't use that as an excuse as to why you lost to App State when you have four and five stars all over the field and great coaches, absolutely, yeah, that absolutely. are getting paid a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm also, I'm going to start it now. I think I think I'm going to just join the App State bandwagon here. I'm going to I'm going to pick them for my college football playoffs. Farther's <laughs> 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 like I'm going to take one of these takes, and eventually it's going to pan out. I'm going to come back at the end of the season and call myself a genius because we'll have this clip of that one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just it's trying like, to put it like all on tape right, right now. They, they tweet out. They tweet out at the beginning of the year, like I'm calling it right now. Michigan beats Ohio State, and then they also tweet out, "I'm calling it right now." Michigan falls short against Ohio State, and then after the game, they delete one and retweet the other. Yeah, <laughs> <That's so> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The trick to do it is you tweet it at someone else, so it's not in your tweets; it's only in your replies. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the other big upset with another school that has, you know, obviously with the We Are Marshall, and they've gotten recognition, Randy Moss playing there. They've been decent, you know, Byron Leftwich as well. They've been decent. They've produced decent teams in the past. Um, I never look and see, like, a team that's playing Marshall and say, regardless of how much I know or don't know about the team, you know, hey, Marshall, they're not – it's impossible for Marshall to beat them. They did beat them. It was pretty fun for me. I saw my buddy Ahmad Bradshaw on the sideline celebrating celebrating the win. Um, but it did really look like Marshall was the better football team. When I watched that game, yeah. it looked like Marshall was the better team. It wasn't just that Notre Dame didn't have a good week. Marshall's defense looked good. The plays that their 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 players made to get those turnovers were were big league plays, and their offense did enough. You know, I'm not sure who the coach is there, but that's a very well coached team that that, that yeah, beat well, a team didn't just get lucky. Well, I'll tell you who he is. His name's Charles Huff, and he was a running back coach for Nick Saban at Alabama before he got there. So he has certainly been uh, save, to the Saban school of coaching, and it looked like it. I mean, both teams that defensively actually played well. I mean, I always look at missed tackles. That's that's my one key stat that I look at to see how well coached a team is, right? And both teams had single digit missed tackles, and so that tells you that they're well coached defense. Both defenses were really good on third down. It just came down to exactly what you said. Marshall created three turnovers and didn't turn the ball over to Notre Dame. That is all comes down to coaching. And on top of that, Marshall's always a team to keep an eye on because unlike Notre Dame with high academic standards, they can't get kids in. Marshall can get anybody in. I mean, you cannot qualify and they can take you as a prop 48. So they'll have kids on their roster that had Bama, Georgia, everybody, but had a 1.2 GPA in high school and couldn't yeah. go to those schools. So they go to Marshall and all of a sudden you're like, who the hell is this freak show at Marshall? Uh, Hassan Whiteside was one for their basketball team. I mean, just yeah. lottery pick in the NBA. How do you go to Marshall? It's like, well, he had like a 1.3 GPA in high school. That's how he ended up at Marshall. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they get the kids and they, they put guys in the NFL. And honestly, like Notre Dame fans, they just got beat by a better team. That's just That's what happened. Um, and <laughs> the, the only other game of note was obviously the, the Arkansas-South Carolina game. This one, of course, is because Partha has his Spencer Rattler for Heisman campaign being developed <laughs> in his computer. Um, they looked It looked bad at the beginning. South Carolina made it competitive, um, but our sleeper team continues, continues on this road to prosperity, Zach. Can someone tell me what to do with all these Spencer Rattler Yes We Can shirts I made? I've got like 740 left. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
There is some country somewhere that needs T-shirts. Send them over, like the, the Super Bowl champion shirts that didn't win it. Send it wherever they go. <laughs> oh man, some war torn yeah, nation. I love this Arkansas team. I, I really do. I mean, I, yeah. I think they 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 are the the number one game on Alabama's schedule, October first at Arkansas. That I I think could really cause Nick Saban's team fits. They run the ball well. They're tough. Their defense is legit. I. I I mean, I'm not overhyping them like they're some SEC champion caliber team, but I think they present a big problem for Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. So week three preview before we kind of get into this playoff conversation that people keep texting me about and asking me about. I thought it was valuable for us to have the conversation here on it. Some people think it's the end of the college football as we know it. Um, but before we get into that, Zach, week three, what are the matchups? Um, that that you're looking forward to, and or do we have anything to worry about? I mean, this it's what college football usually does is right. The first three weeks or so, it's just an awful slate of games. But they set up one that one primetime game, right? You had Notre Dame, Ohio yeah. State, week one, Alabama, Texas, week two. It's like they literally looked at all of college football in week three and said, "Go fuck yourself." You don't get one this week. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know why they didn't set up anything. But there's, I mean, LSU, Mississippi State. Is that yeah? That what we're looking at? I mean, Notre Dame, Cal. Like, there's just not a good game this weekend. I mean, you you look yeah. at. I mean, I honestly I couldn't call it. Georgia, South yeah. Carolina. I guess if you want to watch Spencer Rattler get beat down by Spen, uh, by Stetson Bennett, that's that's the, <laughs> the premier game of the week. I don't know. There, there's not a good one. There's not really any good ones this weekend. So, you know, if you it's for the true college I mean, football purists. I guess there could have been, right? Because the the, the primetime night night game is Miami's going to Texas A and M. So had Texas A and M not lost to App State, that would be a pretty big game. Mario Cristobal, year one at Miami, Jimbo Fisher paid for this big recruiting class, but Texas A and M kind of fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, it's still a big game for us to determine if Miami is back or not, right? Yeah, because absolutely. This is the game of Texas A and M coming off of a loss, being motivated. If Miami wins this game, regardless of the rankings, for that program from where where it's been at, these are the type of wins you have to collect. Um, so I guess I'll be tuning into that for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you look at also, Miami's schedule, I mean, if, if if they can win this one, they got a nice stretch. Middle Tennessee State, North Carolina at home, at Virginia Tech, who's down this year. Duke is terrible this year at home. Virginia at Virginia, they're not very good this year. So you're looking at a team that if they win this game, they could be – you know, nine and zero going into a Florida State game, and then possibly ten and zero playing Clemson at uh, at Clemson week eleven. So th- it definitely could write a different storyline for the remainder of this ACC slate they have if they can pull out the win. Yeah, I also yeah. want to call out the BYU Oregon is going to be a really good matchup. That'll show us if BYU's you know really actually good. Uh, Georgia Tech has a decent shot at uh, upsetting Mississippi. Um, and then uh, my boy Spencer Rattler is probably going to get eaten up by the Bulldogs, but I'm going to watch that one. <laughs> at, at what point? At what point are you going to sell Spencer Rattler? I've gotten so deep. I think my only option is to double down. So he's 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 committed at this point. <laughs> yeah, I've publicly said it, and yeah, I never sell. <laughs> 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 well, let's 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 get into the the conversation that has had 
college football in in uproar the last two weeks, which is the announcement that the playoffs was going to be expanded to 12 teams. You know, on one side of the coin, a lot of people think this is going to turn into March Madness. It's going to undervalue um, college football in the regular season tremendously. Um, and the other side of it is, is that we had to expand it. There are teams that felt left out every year. This is this creates parity and creates more competition. My biggest question with all of this is, I don't think there are 12 good college football teams every year to actually compete in a college football playoff. Maybe the changes create that and maybe lift other programs because kids see, okay, I could go here and also make the playoff. I don't know, but that's my biggest thing is the number. I thought six or eight would have been fine, but 12 seems like there are going to be about four teams every year maybe they're the bye week games or so but there are four teams every year who are going to get into this playoff that just don't deserve to be there there's no doubt and, and i i guess I, I could go either way i definitely think it diminishes the regular season i think that's a, a crime against college football because college football always was every week was do or die and if you lost yeah. the game you, you died um, yep. so I'm, I'm on that side of it i think this is a reaction to the fact that non-playoff bowl games are just, you know, exhibition games at this point. Yeah. But here's where, so I'm against it entirely. I'm with you. I thought six teams was perfect. You don't need to go more than that. The seventh place team's probably going to have two losses and does not have any business being in the playoffs. So that's, that's been my, my firm stance forever until I read an article on what last year would have looked like and damn, do I want to watch those games? Because Ohio yeah. State would have played Michigan State in the in the play-in round, and if they won, they would have played Michigan in a rematch. And you're just looking at it like, oh, my God, that oh, would have been great cool. football. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would love to watch that. Yeah, so I mean, just, honestly, I, same boat. Like, as a fan, like, I'm, a, I'm very much behind it. I think March Madness is an excellent model. I think in football, you have to do less rounds because of the physical toll. 12 is interesting. I don't know why they wouldn't go 16, but it's, I, I mean, I do know why it's because you want your top teams to be able to rest and, you know, you want to kind of stack it in their favor a little bit. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of going into it where there are no buys for being a top team. Like I just, I think when you're entering a playoff and I've always been like the sports wise, like I don't want to buy as the one seed. I want to show how much better I am than the 16 seed the first time out. And then I want to, I want to stop whoever, whoever's in my path. I just think that that would have been a little bit more interesting because it would have created opportunities for upset as well. I think we would have seen a couple of the top seeds fall off in, you know, the first few years of that model. Um, so I do, I, like, I really do hope that we trend in a direction that is closer to like a full, playoff structure and even if that meant the regular season was shortened i agree with you zach like you know there's value in like the amount of like precision that's required in college football that doesn't necessarily exist in a lot of other sports because you're running such mm-hmm. small sample size of games but if you were to shrink the regular season what do we play now 17 games total front to back if you're winning the championship if you're to shrink the regular season instead of doing the 16 or 15 or whatever it is and, and shrink it down to like 12, you have the room there to do quite a robust playoff. And I think that would be an interesting way to conclude the season. Well, this, this would be kind of my, you know, the counter to people who fear that the regular season is going to be undervalued. I think there are two sources of logic behind this um, 
Zach and Partha. One is they, they're being very realistic with the, the understanding that we're going to be entering a two conference model here in 2023 with, with the Big Ten and the SEC both housing most of the programs that you would want to compete for any sort of playoff. And they're going to, they had to create some sort of element where you could get more Big Ten and SEC, SEC teams um, than the other conferences. That's just the reality. I think that was part of it. And the second thing is I do think that there is potentially this could be a motivating factor. Like you said, Zach, that the regular season is filled with pressure to not lose. But I also see the other side, which is some pretty good teams. And we've seen this with Ohio State before, too, where their whole season is banked on getting into the college football playoff. They take that one loss. The players are down. The coaches are down. And they don't compete at the same level as they did throughout the rest of the season because now they're not they're playing for the Orange Bowl, right? And if you're if you came, you know, specifically that season where we came off of the national championship and we're trying to repeat, once the college football playoff was out of the picture for us, nobody really cared anymore. You know what I mean? So maybe this does keep people more, keep some of the, the, the better teams more engaged when those hopes end because the hopes are extended. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that, I that say, was the main factor. I mean, you look at three teams that were in the playoffs, right? That, that would have been in the 12 team playoffs that didn't make it in the 14 playoffs. That's Ohio State, Pitt, and Michigan State. You would have watched Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson play in the playoffs. You would have watched Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison play for Pitt. You would have watched Kenneth Walker III play for Michigan State. All those kids sat out for the bowl yeah. game. So it's, it's yeah. truly about the star power playing. They're trying to get these kids to play. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's exactly what it is. And I mean, you, we've talked about it before. The bowl games can become the playoff games. There's an easy way to make the, make the transition and make everybody mm-hmm. happy. So I think, you know, I think we'll get there ultimately, but I think it's like a 10 year evolution where we're in the middle of. No doubt. And, and I think that, I think the, the reason they kept the bye week was to still, I mean, that, that way, the regular season kind of matters. You might make the playoffs, but if you don't lose and you get a top four seed, you get a bye. Like, you don't have to play. Like, Notre Dame wouldn't have wanted to play Utah last year in the playoffs. They probably would have lost. So it's yeah. all the more motivation to win to try to get that bye to not have that play-in game against a good football team. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, we'll adjust to the change. I don't really see the threats to college football culture that some of the, the more extreme kind of – you know, uh, people are taking that this is going to ruin the game of college football. I think we're going to adjust. We're seeing an evolution. The evolution was necessary because you you can't have it both ways because every year I feel like there are people complaining that their team didn't get in. Um, that eliminates that now. Like Cincinnati's, the Cincinnati's of the world now are going to get a chance every year if they're good enough. You know, the Boise States, they're going to get their shot every mm-hmm. single year. Um to, to, to prove themselves. And I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing overall for college football. Yeah, I agree. completely agree. Well, on that note, I think that that winds up our college football connection, uh, aviation themed college football moment. Uh, thanks for coming on Zach. This is awesome. Um, you know, excited to catch up with you next week as we get a little deeper into the season and we have a lot more to debate on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. Cool. Thanks man. All right, man. Take care.